here are some verses to consider this morning as we look to our Lord in prayer. And now, our Father, what we want to do is to be able to glean the riches of insight that your word has to offer us. The only words that are timely are those which are timeless. Everything else is immediately dated. It's when eternity breaks into time that we begin to get a better sense of why we're here, what life is all about, and where all this is headed. For the one that came here this morning wondering what this is all about and where all of this is headed and why they go through what they go through, what they face, and so on, we pray, Lord, that out of the riches of your word, we're going to bring meaning to souls this morning in all these services. We want to be able to cultivate a sense of wisdom and discernment to be able to take the truth and apply it to the times in which we live. So, Father, in these minutes together, we're praying now that you would warm these hearts, that you would engage these minds, that you would shape these wills. As again, Father, we've come here to see Jesus and him only. We're praying these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. When you have the chance to visit London, I hope you'll be able to get down into the war room where Winston Churchill conducted the operations during World War II. When I made my way down there to sign in, I noticed that there were incredible names listed of those who had signed in, like a Bill Clinton or a George Bush and others. And as we made our way beneath the ground level, and ponder the significance of the decisions that had been worked out there on behalf of Great Britain and all the Allied forces. You pause when you see this video of Churchill and challenging his various cabinet members. And in one of the cabinet meetings during the war, he was encouraging them that there would be absolutely no circumstances in which they would surrender and then said, quote, I find it rather inspiring to stand alone. Nothing in life is so exhilarating as to be shot at without results. Quote, unquote. And I watched that video, I thought of this passage. For you see, as we've noted now in prior weeks, Nehemiah and those constructing, reconstructing the walls of Jerusalem are surrounded. And the attacks are many and they're varied and they come from the north and the south and the east and the west. And it feels as though it's been target practice time. And this morning, as you came into this building, perhaps you feel maybe, just maybe, that that's how your week has gone if not your life, that it's been target practice. And who put the bullseye on the back of my shirt anyways? What I want to do with you this morning is to draw out 
four significant responses that a spiritual leader needs to be able to demonstrate when he or she finds themselves under attack and find ways in which we can glorify God, honor God in the midst of the difficult times we find ourselves in. I'm speaking to single people, married people, young people, older people, students, those in the workplace, the host of people this morning. Four significant ways we can respond in a way that honors God when you and I find ourselves under attack. And the first is found in verse 1 down through verse 4, and we're going to put it this way. The number one, in the face of hidden agendas, focus upon God's work. Now, when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall, and there was no breach left in it, and then there's a parenthesis here, and you've got to always be looking for the parentheses of life. There's rich insight found in parentheses. Don't overlook what he then says, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates. In other words, the points of vulnerability for the Jewish people are increasingly being restricted, but there is still a point of vulnerability here. Now the next generation of spiritual leaders for this church and beyond have got to, as we've said in prior weeks, understand points of vulnerability And even when we are showing ourselves up defensively, if you're a parent and you've done your very best to be able to restrict points of vulnerability, still at the same time, despite how much has been restricted, note where the openings still are to be found. For him, although up to that time I had not set up the doors in the gates. Notice verse 2. Sanballat and Geshem enemies, coordinators of this effort to be able to demoralize the Jewish people, sent to me. Now they're getting personal. Saying, come. Let us meet together at Hakafarim in the plain of Ono, where I think John Lennon's wife came from, Yoko Ono, you see. Now, When I check out my Bible atlas, what I find is that that location that they are offering at this point is halfway between Jerusalem and Samaria. Now, Sanballat is the governor of Samaria, and there has been this utter opposition against this work being done in Jerusalem. He is coordinating the efforts. And he's saying, meet me halfway. I want to pause at this point and say, for the upcoming spiritual leaders, beware of the I'll meet you halfway mentality where you set aside your convictions to be able to establish a sense of artificial peace. This is true as well in relationships that could easily be compromised. Just meet me halfway. 
What I want to be able to say from Nehemiah's text is that there's tremendous danger in what we have noted now as the halfway points of life. For example, in a prior study on a Sunday morning, we in chapter 4 noted in verse 6, so we built the wall and all the wall was joined together to half its height, you see, for the people had a mind to work. So it was halftime. And typically at halftime, the opposition now takes account how the first half went and then makes adjustments for the second half. You might find yourself at the halfway point of life. What you're going to have to do is to be able to develop a strategy now for second half living. Beware of people who have got the half empty versus half full mindset when it comes to matters of the way in which God may or may not be working. Try to discern what God is doing, what God is saying, how God is leading. Not only did we notice the half-constructed walls in chapter 4, now we have been offered a halfway meeting point in chapter 6. But for Nehemiah, to go halfway means to leave the work. Leave the workers behind. Set aside the responsibilities that God had given him in order to meet the agenda of those that have been opposed to him. But you might say, but maybe this is a way in which we can just settle our differences and make some peace. But then again, this might be a way in which the whole work itself is threatened and there will be no peace. Meet me together. Come together. Meeting of the minds. In the plain of Ono, and what expositor would read that and say he needs to say Ono to Ono, right? But they intended to do me harm. He's got insight regarding the hidden agenda. Now, why spiritual leadership in the home, in the church, in the political community, and so on, has got to not only understand the agendas of the culture, but the hidden agendas in the culture as well. He understands motive. He understands intent. Why couldn't they come all the way to Jerusalem is a legitimate question to ask. They know that Nehemiah is a busy man. You're busy. You've got a lot of responsibility. What are the dangers of setting aside your responsibilities to meet a person halfway? And what sort of threat to your spiritual convictions are at the forefront of this meet-me-halfway approach to life? Well, in verse 3, I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work. Don't you love that? I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. The person with biblical convictions has to be able to develop the capacity to say no. When to say no, when to say yes, when to say wait. In this case, he understood the motive, according to verse 2, and so he provides the response, according to verse 3, I am doing a great work, I cannot come down. 
So in the face of hidden agendas, the hidden agenda here to do harm to Nehemiah so as to thwart the construction of the walls around Jerusalem, therefore to leave Jerusalem vulnerable, therefore Messiah will not have a place to enter, to die for your sins and mine. What is he supposed to do? Focus. Focus upon God's work. You can use the acronym F-O-C-U-S in a way that can honor God as well. Focus. Follow one course until successful. A this one thing I do mindset. Not of these 40 things I dabble in. Perspective on life. He understands his priorities. Are you establishing biblical priorities for your life? If you're single, married, parent, student, employer, employee, no matter where you are in life, how does this phrase, I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down, come into play here. He's got F-O-C-U-S. Follow one course until successful. Mindset. This one thing I do, Dawson Trotman of Navigators put it. Not these 40 things I dabble in. Question. Why should the work stop when I leave it and come down to you? He understands their rationale. Just as in the days of Ezra, in the book of Ezra, where there was a work stoppage, he is able to discern that likewise, as they are moving towards the completion of this work for God, the effort is still to create a work stoppage to keep the advancement of God's work from happening. Now, when you develop a sense of discernment, what you need to do is to look for patterns, repetitions, ways in which the evil one will continue to try to keep you from doing what God has called you to do. In verse 4, you and I are told, and they sent to me not once, not twice, not three times, four times in this way. Is he going to wear down? Are you wearing down? Do you have the capacity to maintain biblical conviction in a compromised culture? I answered them in the same manner. We need to be able to equip people to do that, you know. During the war with Mexico, Stonewall Jackson was a lieutenant at that time, and he came under incredible fire. Some of the horses were killed, gunners deserted the guns to find shelter behind embankments. 
Jackson remained at the guns, urging his men back. Years later, as a professor, Jackson was asked by one of his students about this episode. Sir, why didn't you run when your command was so disabled? I always liked Jackson. He had this quiet strength about him. Never saw publicity. Man of high levels of dignity. He quietly responded, because I was not ordered to do so. If I had been ordered to run, I would have run. But I was directed to hold my position, and I had no right to abandon it. See how that relates to what we just read in Nehemiah? God had placed him in a position of responsibility. I had no right to abandon it. What positions of responsibility has God given you? In the home, the church, business, workplace, schools, government, relationships. Do you have the capacity to hold your position for the glory of God? This is the makings of spiritual leadership here. But in the makings of spiritual leadership, the wise, discerning leader has the capacity then to discern hidden agendas and do an F-O-C-U-S, as you see it on the screen. You focus upon not your work. Answer the question, why am I here? Why didn't God just take me to heaven after I got born again? No, he left you here, he positioned you here, no matter whether it was cancer treatment subsequent to, loss of jobs subsequent to, broken hearts subsequent to. You hold your position because you're here to do God's work. Even when you feel like you've got this bullseye on the back of your shirt. But now, there's a second response here, and it comes out of verses 5 through 9, that secondly, in the face of false accusations, rely upon God's strength. Our first response, in the face of hidden agendas, you focus upon God's work. Second response, in the face of false accusations, you rely upon God's strength. And you say, but Gary, tell me a little bit about the false accusations. Well, I won't, but God's word will. In the same way, Sanballat now, notice this, for the fifth time. This is a wear-down tactic, you see. Wear-down tactic. Are you getting tired? You're wearing down? 
Sanballat, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me. But notice now, this is not private. This is public. He's gone on Facebook with an open letter. This is a public bulletin board in his hand. And notice in verse 6, the accusation. And it was written, it's reported among the nations. Which nations? They don't say, do they? You see, false accusers love anonymity. But Geshem will go on the record, but Geshem has been on the record. Geshem also says it, but can you believe Geshem's? Got a Geshem in your life? that you and the Jews intend to rebel, and that's why you're building the wall. But you're saying to yourself, how on earth could they come up with that scenario? How can they read the intent of my heart? Who has the right to draw such conclusions about what takes place within? Beware of the person who's continuously assuming your motive. This is what they're doing to this incredible spiritual leader, Nehemiah. They've not only drawn a conclusion, they've stated a public conviction. They're not saying that you might intend, that you and the Jews intend to rebel, and that's why you are building the wall. Now, this would demoralize the workers where they're saying for themselves, so this is what it's all about anyways, so that Nehemiah... Is going to become king. We're just building the wall for the sake of him. How do you handle a public accusation? When people start talking to people who start talking to people who start talking to people. Where, where do you start, let alone end? And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And furthermore, in verse 7, you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. But now, here's the dagger. Fear tactic. And now the king will hear of these reports. So come. Now come. Let's take counsel together in Ono. If you ever read Bill Bennett's book, Book of Virtues, great book to have on hand, single, married, children, grandchildren, page here, a page there, tremendous wisdom. Not long after the American victory at Yorktown, his book informs us, an officer of the Revolutionary Army wrote to Washington suggesting that the newly liberated colonies could never become a nation under a Republican form of government and proposed the establishment of a kingdom with George Washington as king. And the letter went public. get the response. Newburgh, May 22nd, 1782. George Washington responds, Sir, with a mixture of great surprise and astonishment, I've read with attention 
the sentiments you've submitted to my perusal, be assured, sir, no occurrence in the course of the war has given me more painful sensations than yours. And I view this with abhorrence. I am much at a loss to conceive what part of my conduct would have given encouragement to this great, greatest of mischiefs that can befall upon my country. You could not have found a person to whom your schemes, keyword, are more disagreeable. So let me say to you then, if you have any regard for your country, concern for yourself, your posterity, for, or respect for me, to banish these thoughts from your mind, never communicate as from yourself or anyone else a sentiment of the like nature again. With esteem I am, sir, and I love how this ends. Your servant. Not your king. <laughs> your servant. G, period. Washington, not general. He doesn't even say George. G, period. Washington. It takes tremendous strength of humility to be able to respond under attacks such as those. In the face of false accusations, rely upon God's strength. And this is how Nehemiah does it in verses 8 and 9. Here's his response. Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say have been done, for you're inventing them out of your own mind. And now, he again is able to decipher the blend of hidden agenda and false accusation. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work. It will not be done. Where do you go for such strength when you need such strength? Check out the succinct prayer found in verse 9 at the end. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. Not tomorrow. Now. And did you once again capture the exhale? He doesn't say God. He says, oh. Feel the emotion. God. He goes to the source of strength, do you? Strengthen my hands. Robert Morrison was incredibly weary and tired when he made his way to the shoreline of China. Getting off his ship in a Chinese port, the captain sneeringly said, according to the biography, so, so. You think you're going to make an impression upon China? And the great missionary quietly responded, No, sir. But I believe God will. 
He understood the source of his strength. Do you? You see, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you develop this tremendous theological understanding of the infinite, eternal, unchangeable God, which means he has infinite power. Eternal power. Unchangeable power. And so when you reach one of those points in time where you feel north, south, east, west, Surrounded. You need one of those, oh, God, moments. But don't end there. Strengthen my hands. Single or married. With children or without. Working in the home or out of the home. whether experiencing loss in life or gains in life. But now there's a third response here for that spiritual leader. Thirdly, in the face of spiritual deception, depend upon God's word. Boy, he can barely get that prayer out of his lips when all of a sudden we got a now of verse 10, don't we? Check out, beginning in verse 10 onwards. Now, when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mahatabel, he's homebound, supposedly, who's confined to his home. All of a sudden, this man says, let's meet together in the house of God. I thought he was homebound. Already, you and I are spotting inconsistencies now. Spiritual leadership, you're steeped in God's word, which means that you have a sense of integrity rooted in God's word, the inerrancy of God's word. So you see then breakdowns of integrity in this fallen world. There's inconsistency here. On one hand, confined to his home, and the next breath lets me together. And this sounds so spiritual. Where? Where? In the house of God. Now, didn't Sanballat and Tobiah want him and Geshem and the others to meet together in the plain of Ono? Sit down your work and go outside? Now, here's a sit down your work and come inside. Now, the wise spiritual leader recognizes the adjustments to the tactics of life. Same objective, different method. If we can't get Nehemiah to go out and drop the work, we will get Nehemiah to come in and drop the work. Sounds so spiritual. Let's meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let's close the doors. Let's have a closed-door meeting uh, of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. It sounds incredibly prophetic because it is so definitive. They're coming to kill you by night. Now, at this point, the spiritual leader begins to know patterns. The wise person develops discernment. 
and understands there's repetition. There's the repetition of getting Nehemiah to move away from the walls, whether outward or inward. There's repetition in this attempt to be able to meet outward or inward. There's this repetition in the means by which they attempt to produce fear inward. Now, the question we've got here is this. How do you respond now to this change of tactic, but with the same objective? To get him to stop. Classic verse 11. But I said in the form of a question, and wise leaders, parents, employers, employees, government, political, whatever, utilize questions strategically. But I said, why should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live, question mark, and I want you to hold that question mark as you keep marching forward with these verses. I will not go in. My goodness. In verse 3, I will not go out. In verse 11, I will not go in. He's a Stonewall Jackson type. In other words, when it comes to biblical conviction, he holds his position. Which is what a wise parent does in equipping the next generation theologically. He will not go in because he will not give in. In verse 12, what I see here is tremendous discernment. And in this culture of gray, what we need is the capacity to develop discernment. The Latin word from which this comes to sin means literally to separate. Biology student learns to dissect and to separate in order to see the various organs and how they interact with one another. What we need to do is to develop the capacity to separate the true from the false, the real from the artificial, because it takes discernment in order to make good decisions. Great discernment precedes great decisions. We love leaders who are incredibly decisive, but the problem is they can be incredibly decisive in leading us down the wrong path. The question is, what stands behind the decisiveness? It takes discernment to fuel decisions. Peter was well-intentioned when he wanted to keep Jesus Christ from going to the cross. Right after he had just declared, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, you see. But what he lacked was the discernment to see the conflicted nature of this encounter because the evil one was stepping in at this point upon the acknowledgement by Peter's lips as to who Christ was to separate the evil one attempted to do the identity of Christ from the mission of Christ. 
Christ from the same lips, the lips of Peter. It takes spiritual discernment to cultivate personal decisions. Great discernment shapes great decisions. I understood and saw in verse 12 that God had not sent him. And now here's his conclusion. But he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him a prophet for a prophet. A false prophet from monetary profit. Examine the scriptures continually against whatever it is that's being shared spiritually to make absolutely certain that what you are hearing is consistent with what has been written. This is what Nehemiah would have to do. And so in verse 14, he shoots up another prayer. Remember to buy and sign and ballot. Oh my God, there's that oh again. You can almost feel the sigh. According to these things that they did, also the prophetess Noadiah, ganging up on me and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid, he sees the pattern, the fear tactics involved here. What equips him to be able to discern spiritual deception? The answer, he depends upon God's word. How do you and I discern spiritual deception? We depend upon God's word. Take, for example, what appears on the screen in Numbers chapter chapter 18, verse 7. Nehemiah would have known this. And you and your sons with you shall guard your priesthood for all that concerns the altar. And that is within the veil, and you shall serve. I give your priesthood as a gift. And any outsider who comes near shall be put to death. Nehemiah is an outsider. He's not a priest. If he had listened to that prophet and gone into the temple, he would have been put to death. This prophet was attempting to lure Nehemiah in. And if Nehemiah is not steeped in God's word, he will be stumped by this false prophet. But you might be prone to say, but he's so spiritual. Shouldn't we be tolerant of various spiritualities? But then again, Deuteronomy 13, beginning with verse 1 down through 5, comes to mind because, you see, what God had done was to equip the coming generations with the capacity to discern true versus false prophets. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you, gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass and says, let's go after other gods which you have not known. Let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, you see. It will go on to say you have to obey his voice. You have to serve him. You have to hold fast to him. Nehemiah does. And then you are able to understand what David Wells wrote regarding leadership. It's priceless. The fundamental requirement of the Christian leader today 
is not a knowledge of where the stream of popular opinion is flowing, but a knowledge of where the stream of God's truth lies. Here's an illustration for us. August 31st, 1939. So it seems. So it seems. Polish soldiers, historian tells us, and guerrillas stirred up incidents along the Polish-German border, attacking a forestry station, destroying a Nazi customs building, occupying German radio station. These Poles shouted anti-Nazi slogans into the microphone, littered the place with dead bodies of their German victims. No wonder Nazi Germany invaded Poland the next day. Question, do you believe it? Here's the real story. The German secret security service detachments disguised themselves as Polish soldiers, created all the mayhem. It was the Nazi soldiers that were shouting anti-German slogans into the microphones, littering the place with dead bodies of their German victims, these Poles. Is that so? Well, these German corpses, they were actually Jewish corpses that came from the German concentration camps. And Reinhold Heydrich had concocted the scheme to provide justification for Hitler's long-planned attack on Poland where the world would think that Poland had done this to Germany. There was no truth in it. What we have to do is to equip this in the next generation as to where the truth lies. Which leads us now to this final response. That in the face, in the face of continual opposition, reflect upon God's help. So the wall was finished. You'd think the enemies would disperse. So the wall was finished on the 25th day, the month of Elul, 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid, fell greatly in their own esteem, for they had perceived, and I've mocked this, they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Evangelism here. But you see, the evil one doesn't give up. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah, of Judah of all places, where Jesus will come, where David came from, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah. Now notice how Tobiah's name ends, I-A-H. How does Nehemiah's name end? I-A-H. Might look like commonality, doesn't it? Tobiah's letters to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him an opponent to Nehemiah and the finalization of the construction of the walls. Why? Because blood runs thicker than water. And as you see on the screen, Tobiah is related to many who are on the inside 
in Jerusalem, Judah. They were gullible and naive because Nehemiah doesn't come from their midst. He came from Susa. Man, Tobiah, he's got relatives here in Jerusalem. Tobiah is playing off of his relationships. And so as you see how it ends in verse 19, they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. And so in the face, fourthly, of continual opposition, right when you think all is done, you reflect upon God's help. It was God's help that helped us to complete this task. I always love that conversation about George Gathos, the man responsible for the completion of the Panama Canal. Biggest problem was with the climate and geography, many thought, no. His biggest challenge was the growing criticism back home from those who predicted he would never finish the project. Finally, one colleague asked him, aren't you going to answer these critics? In time, answered Gathos. When, his partner asked, when the canal is finished, Gathos responded, Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there, until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. We just sang that. And that's how we respond in a culture of deception. Let's stand together. And so, Father, we're thanking you now for being our God, sovereign, who sent Jesus to the cross to die for our sins, the one who said, Tadalestei, it is finished. So for all the tasks that you give us to day in, day out, for those that are tired and simply want to abandon their positions, I pray that you'll give them the strength, even if they've got to cry out, oh, God, Equip them, Father, to keep on keeping on based upon the one who died for us and for Jesus alone. We give him all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.